welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. I'm Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And we are here today for our first special bonus episode. We are not going to be talking about a specific book today, but instead we are joined by two special guests, Tessa and Sam, who are here to tell us about their experience attending this year's virtual uh, Young Adult Literature Festival, Y'all Fest. Sam and Tessa, welcome to Act Your Age. Thank you so much for joining us. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you came to attend this year's festival. Well, so I think the most important thing to say is that my cousin's daughter has been attending Y'all Fest forever. Um, you guys just mentioned uh, Lee Bardugo. Uh, one of the earliest things I ever heard about Y'all Fest was her quest to get everything by Bardugo signed at Y'all Fest, which she was able to do. So they were always trying to get us to come to it. It's in Charleston, South Carolina. And now that we live a little bit closer, we were finally able to go for the first time last year. It was, I think it was a lot of fun. It was interesting getting to interact with people. Um, I had a real nice conversation with Veronica Roth, which was the highlight for me. Um, and so, you know, we were sold on the whole thing. And, you know, it's disappointing, just like everything else, that it was virtual this year. But we were able to make that happen. Well, and you also went for your work, right? Well, Sort of. Okay. Yeah, sure. Technically, <laughs> technically, as, as, as someone who is an assistant professor of English whose specialty is in is young adult literature, yeah, it's always for work too. But, you know, being a fan as well, it's double duty for sure. Would you say you were there more as a fan last year than as a professor? Definitely for sure. Although being able to, again, talk work with Veronica Roth and I don't know. I think she felt a little validated afterward. It was it was great. Um, she takes. I learned that Veronica Roth takes the takes the fan reaction to Allegiant. She's still a little bit uh, a little bit raw about it to this day. And as somebody who has a very positive outlook on how that series ended, I could I I, I just felt like there was a little relief on her face. It was it was great. So yeah. Uh, that was very a very polarizing ending, for <laughs> sure, to say the least. Yeah, I, so I just went along for the ride. Basically, uh, I I had never heard of it, but you know, I knew a lot of these authors. Uh, Holly Black was there last year. Veronica Roth, uh, Angie Thomas, who I'd already seen speak once and who is an excellent, excellent speaker. Nick Stone. I, I mean, just like the who's who of young adult lit. There were also a lot of people there that I'd never heard of before because, unlike Sam, I am not a young adult lit uh, specialty. My I'm getting my PhD in speculative fiction and medical humanities, so I dabble in young adult lit, but one of the downsides of going to grad school for literature is that you end up reading a lot in your field and you don't have a chance to really read outside your field. So I've always been a really big fan of young adult lit, but it was kind of shocking to me how behind I was and like how many of these people I just didn't know um, who were such a big deal in in this particular community. So it was also very exciting just to hear all these people talk about their books and me like scribbling down like, oh, that sounds interesting. I want to read that. So yeah, it was like a really great experience last year. And so this year it was kind of, we didn't know if it was going to happen or not. And, you know, the fact that we got this was, was very exciting. 
Do you feel like, because it seems to me I follow a lot of the authors who were participating on on socials and it seemed like a lot of people were were participating and I uh, had not heard of it before this year where I'm for some reason more glued to my phone than ever. I don't know why, uh, but I, I, it seemed like a lot of people were participating. Did you feel like there was even more like author talent than when it was in person just because it's I guess somewhat easier for people to attend these types of things virtually these days. I don't know. There were a lot of authors there the the year that we went last year. I think perhaps it was easier for some people to attend, but I mean there were panels last year, especially the uh the queer young adult panel. I remember having like 10 people yeah. on the panel. So I don't I don't know exactly. I would have to look at the numbers on that. But I mean the really cool thing about a virtual event is that like I think there were a lot of people who were able to attend maybe who wouldn't have otherwise been able to go. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, I I think it seemed like it was there were about the same overall number of participants. Um you know, uh, one of the big names that that we really enjoyed getting to see was uh, uh, V.E. Schwab, um, who was not there, I believe, last year. Um, you know, Brendan Reichs and Veronica Roth are really the the main people behind this festival. Um, and I definitely noticed uh, Veronica Roth's absence over the last couple of days. Um, the 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 queer panel that Tessa mentioned was. Uh, led by David Levithan last year. Um, of course, we didn't see him, and that was sad. Um, Adam Silvera was there instead. He is definitely an MVP of Yalfest. Uh, it seems like every year. Um, Angie Thomas wasn't there this year, but that's because she's getting ready for the uh, assembly on, I'm going to get this wrong, Assembly on Literature for Adolescent Novels of NCTE. She's their keynote speaker. That's a, a professional convention next week that I'll be attending again, virtually. Um, but as Tessa said, you know, perhaps there were some of those names that maybe traditionally would have been there had it been a, a physical event only really allowed for people who may not have engaged or been able to travel, um, you know, because you have a lot of authors who are trying to break through who maybe still don't have the means to do something like this, were able to participate instead. So, you know, um, you know, for every author like, uh, you know, Karen McManus, who wasn't there, um, or um, Jenny Hahn, uh, you had other authors who were starting to break through or maybe will break through as a result of this who were there. So, you know, it, it's a really good point that gives a little bit more leeway for some of those newer newer authors. I know I saw that um, Aiden Thomas was on this year's queer panel and um, they just had their debut novel, Cemetery Boys, which we've talked about here on this podcast. So I did notice that there were some uh, some some new faces or new 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 kids on the block in terms of books that they published this year. Um, but that's really cool that MV Schwab was there this year. Obviously the invisible life of Abby LaRue is taking the world by storm right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that was really cool to hear about. So yeah, I guess on that note, what, what panels did you guys attend? What, what stuff did you learn? What was the most interesting? Really excited to hear about it. So on Friday we did, we mainly just did the uh, V Schwab uh, panel 
which was she did a whole thing. So so this is a craft convention. Like we we do get people who come and ask just about the books in general, but most of these people are, are here to talk about writing or to talk about, you know, issues within the young adult uh, lit community. So yes, or I'm sorry, Friday, I have my days all mixed up. On Friday, we watched the V.E. Schwab panel on she she uses a metaphor to talk about how to construct an entire novel called the story corpse and so she talks a lot of she talked a lot about like planning an entire novel and like where do you start and how to you know how do you divide up the work and how do you make sure that it all makes sense and you know how do you stop yourself from falling into traps of writing too much stuff that's only going to get cut anyway. Um, so there was a lot of really good craft things, I think, in that particular in, in that particular panel. And it was just interesting. She's a she's a fascinating speaker. It was uh, pre-recorded. Like she did pre-record the the ep- or the episode, the panel, but then she came on at the end live to answer questions. And so she did ans- get to answer um, some questions that people had I, I don't know. Was there a place to submit questions? I wasn't clear exactly on how that worked. Uh, th- th- there was. Uh, they used Zoom, which is, of course, I think everybody knows Zoom now. And so there was a there was a Q and A feature. I plugged our computer into the TV and just kind of tried to watch it. Um, so we never saw the chat going on or the Q and A being submitted. Um, so yeah, it was there and other people were participating in it. The the other thing about Y'all Fest is it's craft and uh it has that big fan component. You know, in the physical space there's lots of fan signings, interaction or fan yeah, fan signings, interaction with authors, that kind of stuff. And of course you couldn't do that. Um and that was probably the biggest, you know, negative of this year was the focus on craft, which, which by the way, is a positive. Focusing on craft is great. Um, but there were times where it was like, this feels different in mission. There's not that much of an interaction there. You know, for example, V.E. Schwab, as Tessa said, recorded and then did some live Q&A, which, by the way, Nick Stone did one on dialogue the next day, which we watched, and she did the whole thing live and had technical issues the whole time, unfortunately. There was a lot of freezing, and it was really... Uh, you need to know if you're ever in a situation with Nick Stone and something goes wrong, she's going to be the person to keep cool. Like, like it, you know, she's going to be the adult in the room. Like I would have just completely lost it. Um, but so that was, that was really interesting. Yeah. It was really good to find out. Um, but yeah, so those were the two really, they called those master classes. You know, it was just basically one person talking about craft and I, I thought it, the, the V.E. Schwab one was probably the, the, one of the two best takeaways from the weekend, just hearing her talk about how she uses um, Scrivener, right? Yes, she does use Scrivener. Yeah, using Scrivener to, to make outlines and to write. And just, uh, as I mentioned, these are all going to be up on YouTube pretty soon. And I would recommend checking that one out. Um, it is not a way I have thought about uh, writing fiction which I which I've done, and I would have never thought about doing it that way. Um, but it also would work for academic work too. So I'm kind of excited. I also was surprised she she mentioned that she had a background in poetry, which I didn't know. But I've read The Invisible Life of Addie Larue, and I think like it just all clicked for me. I'm like, oh, of course she had a background. 
<laughs> yeah, that makes because, a lot of sense knowing that book. Yeah, yeah, because that book has like so much poetic language in it. So there is a lot of like just those little tidbits, I think, um, that are just so much fun um, for y'all fest. Uh, I will say, I don't think last year there were any panels that were just one person talking. So that was a little interesting to have like these like master classes with just like one person streaming. I mean, it was good. Um, I, I liked the Nick Stone one, even with all the, the technical difficulties talking about how to write realistic dialogue. And I, I just also kind of wish that like she had been able to interact with other people when talking about it. Cause to me, that's where a lot of the charm from last year came from. We're seeing like these authors interact together and have different opinions or discussions about some of these craft issues. Or even having just like one person there to ask questions of one main speaker, at least a moderator. Yeah. At least makes it, breaks it up a little bit. Cause yeah, I imagine that that's really hard and takes a, a lot out of it. It becomes more like a, a speech versus a conversation, which is is hard to learn from sometimes. Yeah, and I think there's just like a craft to talking into a camera. And like Nick Stone is is perfectly good at it. It's just like, it's just difficult when you don't have like- It's hard to make it not feel like it's a lecture or something. Yeah, well, and I just feel like it's awkward because the person who's talking like- it, it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of interaction. It just feels very pre-recorded, even though even p- when you do it live, I think it's there's a real skill to it that um, is just difficult. It's difficult to maintain. Also, if any of you ever have the chance to see Nick Stone and Angie Thomas on a panel together, that is like one of I, c- I can't recommend that experience enough. They are, you know, hashtag friendship goals or whatever you, it is you want to call it. But they are they are great to see together. Yeah, I think that's one of the best part of parts of panels, like you guys are saying, was the interaction between the authors and stuff. And that's, I mean, you get the accessibility through Zoom, uh, where people who might not be able to attend attend otherwise can, but you do miss out on that like interpersonal experience. Yeah. So there were then after that, there were a couple panels. Uh, probably the standout one that we attended was the queering everything. A panel and that one had uh, Adam Silvera like we said he was sort of he kind of took the role of like the moderator of that particular panel uh, Patrice Caldwell Corinne uh, Duavis I think that's how you say uh, their name and Mark Oshiro and Aiden Thomas and I had not heard of most of these people but it was a very very fun panel I think that's the one I'm I'm most looking yeah. forward to eventually watching on YouTube yeah, yeah, that's uh, one I signed up for and then forgot about. <laughs> well, yeah, it. after the uh, it was uh, after the review of the the Aiden Thomas, right? After after having a chance to read that, I was I'm super excited to get to uh, it's Cemetery Boys. Is that right? Yeah, it's so right? good. Yeah, I'm looking forward. No, I, I I read what you wrote about it, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> what did they talk? So, what was kind of the nuts and bolts of, of that panel? So. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna write about this a little bit um, this week for the for the pop culturist. Um, you know, I so I do a lot with um, young adult literature in terms of like traditional literary theory. You know, I write about it in the same way that you would write about you know any any work of literature. But I'm also really concerned. With and the reason I ultimately went back uh, and got a PhD and you know got a job like this was to advocate for the fact that we need to do more work with 
with young adult lit in the high school classroom because of uh, two things. One is the value of interest. And when, when students read things that they're interested in, their literacy levels are just, it's going to increase. It's just, I mean, that's it. The more you read, the more you write, the better you get. Uh, but the other thing is just being exposed to stories that are not your own or being exposed to stories that are your own because you're not exposed to them in real life. And they hit on that point very, very hard, very, very quickly. And it, it to me, it almost didn't matter what else they said at that point, because that's exactly the thing that, that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of using all the capital that I have as a professor to talk about is the idea that we have to have more books like the books that, that, that these people write, you know, um, you talk about, uh, there was definitely something spoken. I don't remember who said it talking about, um, uh, issues of say non-binary, uh, and just knowing that what that is. And one way that you can understand what it is, is by reading stories about non-binary characters. And maybe you're sitting there going, okay, something, something, something with this is resonating with me. Is this, is this what I am? Maybe it is. And I can tell you, that's not something we had when I was, when I was an adolescent. And so that could have solved a lot of problems for me. Um, and, and, but they were, they talked about that. The publishing industry 10 years ago wouldn't have allowed uh, writers to straight up say queer characters in my book. Um, you know, if they actually got a contract for a book and were able to publish it, they'd kind of have to hide that. And it'd be like, surprise, queer characters in the book. Um, so just this idea of what they're talking about is that we can tell these stories and how it's important to tell these stories, how it can help you develop your own identity or develop empathy for others who are not like you, which is, you know, kind of something we need right now. Um, so I really, I, you know, they talked about a lot of stuff, but but they definitely led with that discussion. And like I said, I think it was the most valuable thing um, there. You are so completely speaking my language because every time I talk to anybody about why I love YA, that's those are the exact points that I always bring up. Um, the way that it can help people find identity and find acceptance, but also it helps people develop their empathy and compassion for other people and understanding of other people. And um yeah, I think it's it's one of the most valuable things that YA has to bring. And also, like you were talking about, having more of a YA curriculum in high school, because we have such a reliance on these old, like, quote unquote, classics that people are not connected to these days and people don't care about. And it, it's not encouraging anybody to learn anything or want to read. Yeah. And that ties in really well with everything that we've been trying to cover on our podcast. We we talked about this. It was like very unintentional that most of the books we've covered in our few short months uh, of having our podcast is um, accidentally mostly queer stories and how uh, adults can benefit from that too. And the obvious uh, lessons that that kids can learn from them are so great. But then continuing on, you know, all of us in, in our peer group, our age group, we didn't have any, like you said, we didn't have any of that growing up too. So there's a never ending learning process and we still can learn so much, much from it. And I, I love that there's all these very strong voices cognizant of that and pushing for that now going forward. 
Yeah, and I know I keep bringing up Angie Thomas, who was not here for this for this particular festival. But like a a couple years ago, when I first saw her speak, she was uh, at at the university that we both went to, and she talked about sort of this issue that you brought up about uh, about reading more of these books in high school and the fact that the hate you give. her first book is one of these books that has been adopted in a lot of high schools and a lot of students want like are advocating for it to be adopted in a lot of their high schools. And she talked about how like so many of her fans will tell her like, you know, I, I, I didn't understand what, like what reading could be because I never saw myself in any of the books that we read. Like I never, this is the first book that I've read for school that I actually saw myself in. And I think that that's, that is a really powerful thing that you can kind of see across, across issues of race or sexuality or gender or, you know, disability, any of those issues, you know, the, these books definitely have that potential. So there, there was a lot about that. There was also a lot about book covers in this panel. Uh, the idea that, you know, like, do you do you have you know a a pick uh, you know a book cover that advertises the queerness of the story so you know people because you don't want to hide it or be ashamed of it but then also there's you have to balance that against like the fact that like queer kids can't always bring you know books home that that advertise that uh, because they're not out to their family or they you know they have an unstable you know home situation so yeah I, I thought there were just some really good discussions that happened in this panel. That's really interesting. I never thought about that as, as a concern before. Now it's making me think of so many different covers of, of books and how they've I'm even thinking changed. in particular of uh, Felix Ever After, where Felix is on the cover with, um, you know, the, the top surgery scars and stuff and, uh, and how people might have a hard time bringing that home. I, it, when you, when you watch the, when you watch the recording of it, um, and to see if I was right about this, but I believe it was Aiden Thomas who used the cover of that novel as a visual example. I and mean, that's, that's the one, right? You know, um, that, that is the go-to one. And then Adam Silvera is like, well, look at this book. You know, this is not, you know, I think it was like the Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Rising, I think, you know, it's just a picture of a Phoenix. You wouldn't know who's what in this book, but if you look at what he actually said was there's no, t- th- this this phoenix is not kissing another phoenix. <laughs> that is what that's true. <laughs> yeah. He's really funny. I like him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that was the queering everything panel. We actually skipped a panel. We did also the the breakfast panel, the one at 10 a.m. Do you remember that uh, one? We were both kind of like half asleep because um, it was a Saturday morning. But uh, th- they did like a little like y'all fest breakfast panel where they checked in on a couple of the authors that were going to be participating and they sort of talked about like what they're doing and what they're writing and of course a lot of it's like well here's my most recent book but i can't actually talk about what i'm writing right now you know like which seems to be like a common refrain at y'all fest i can't talk about what i'm writing right now (laughs) (laughs) i feel like these books like are because ya is such a like lucrative publishing seg like segment because that's what YA really is it's like a publishing title for the most part is they can't like it's like a highly guarded secret I don't think there's any other like publishing uh publishing I, I, it's not a genre I keep wanting to call it a genre but it's not there's no other like publishing segment where they're just like you can't know what they're working on right now it's a top secret <laughs> well I wonder how much that plays into and I wondered if you guys um attended this panel um, on fan service 
that Victoria Aviard and someone uh, Chinani did, because a lot of it, I think, is that does that come from the fact that teenage fans and fandom tend to get really they'll they'll hunt everyone on the internet for any clues and is that why we have to have this this secrecy and so i was really interested to see what they were going to speak about on their panel and how to kind of deal with some of that stuff that is kind of unique to YA in a lot of ways we we didn't attend that one and you know i'll i'll, I'll tell you for me that that area of of young adult lit isn't of interest to me. Although, as soon as you mentioned that, I remember that a a student uh, had in another course had reached out uh, via the professor, and I had talked with this student about um, a a designing a fan fiction, uh, uh, designing like a, a fan fiction writing project. Uh, this person's going to go into upper elementary. Um, education and and thinking about how to bring that kind of fan community, fan service, fan fiction into the curriculum. Which, I mean, clearly that's that's one of the most vibrant writing communities in existence. I mean, you want to bring that into the classroom. Well, you know, maybe certain segments of it anyway. But um, so so I thought about that, and and it's not. Uh, so ultimately, yeah, we didn't attend it, but. It's it's such an important part of that. And like I said, that was one of the things that I think they were trying hardest to recover. You know, losing the physical space was feeling like there's there's fan interaction there. So I feel like there was that one and there was another panel that I think were mostly there to kind of address some of those things, if not indirectly. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And it's really interesting about bringing... Uh, fan fiction into into academia we our first episode we covered fangirl by rainbow rowell and man if kath avery could write some fan fiction in college she would have had a much different journey in that book um that that's really interesting to to hear about um yeah i i I definitely want to check out that one because i am intrigued to see how authors handle that so that one goes up on youtube i'm gonna take a look but uh any any other uh, panels that were really particularly interesting or any other really interesting things you guys learned while you were there? The the panel on how do you play in a series? Um, let's see, that was Stephanie Garber, Marie Lou, Garth Nix, and Tochi Onyebuchi, which I, I just <laughs> I just really like listening to, in particular, Stephanie Garber and Tochi Onyebuchi. Um, Tochi Onyebuchi is the only person I have ever heard in i think all literary circles to say my stuff's good i write good stuff and i'm like you know what we need more of that energy like i want i want somebody like onyabuchi to read everything i write because if he tells me it's good i know he means it because he you know he'll say his own stuff's good so it's not like being flattering i i i really it's really fun listening to him talk. And uh, Stephanie Garber, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's its fun to listen to somebody ve- being very candid about how messy uh, planning, especially for a series. It's like, well, I wrote this as a book, and then we split it up into two, and then I decided I guess I'd write a third one. But then the second one of this book was about something completely different, and I had to scrap that, and it's just messy. Um, and that that's always good to hear, you know. Yeah, that that's really interesting. 
I, I also thought it was interesting too, uh, as you were mentioning earlier, Corinne, uh, the, this idea that like some people were able to attend who maybe weren't able to. The, the person that I thought of when you said that was Garth Nix, who was in Australia when they were doing this Zoom call. So he was like up at like 4 a.m. <laughs> doing this, doing this Zoom call with, with, uh, with the others. And so that was, that was kind of cool to see somebody who maybe wouldn't have been able to travel, um, to like be here physically. But yeah, it was such an interesting panel, mainly because, I mean, if you write anything, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, academic writing, whatever, articles, blogging, you know that it's really difficult to actually just sit down and write um, anything. And it can be very validating to hear, you know, people that we see as having made it talk about their own struggles with sitting down and writing. I want to say it was... uh, I want to say it was Marie Lu who said this during the panel where she said, like, I really like having written, but I don't actually like the process of writing. (laughs) And like, to me, like that just like really spoke to me because it's, it's really hard to write. And I think sometimes we have this like very romanticized view of these authors just sort of sitting down and like Stephanie Garber just sits down and like Caraval comes out of her, you know, like, and, and it was perfect and everything was great, you know, on the first draft. And that's just not how writing works. And so I, I found it to be extremely encouraging <laughs> to hear all these people talk about how difficult it is to plan a series. They talked about retconning in series, like how sometimes you'll accidentally write yourself into a corner and you have to figure out how to like write around it and it was just really really interesting and um to hear all the different software that they use too because some of them are diehard scrivener fans some of them are uh you know the the old school notes everywhere team chaos fans um you know and so that was that was also very interesting did they talk at all about you know sam you mentioned the idea of you know split starting something with two books and splitting it into a trilogy, do they talk at all about like publishing pressures on and stuff like that? Because I can think of at least one way a series right now that was like meant to be a duology and the first book went way bigger than anyone thought. And so they forced the author to like turn it into a trilogy to kind of capitalize on it. And the second book was just like not good because there just wasn't enough there. Um, I won't name drop it because <laughs> I feel bad, but because um, I did not like the second book of it. But uh, I, I wonder if it, did that come up at all as, as a, a complication that they have to face? Duologies are the new trilogy. That was one thing we learned. Yeah, it, it does seem like that, that, um, one thing there is certainly a lot of publishing pressure and you could hear that, um, even when it wasn't mentioned specifically, which it was a couple of times, but, but yeah, the, the idea that, uh, duologies are becoming more of a viable format and it really just sounds like that one of the reasons that that's occurring is the, the, the middle book is just it doesn't do anything. And they talked about that specifically about how having to make middle books compelling, but you, you, you heard it, you heard it. Well, we have to try to make it compelling, but what if, what if we didn't have a middle book? <laughs> so that, that may be a trend that's gaining more and more steam. Yeah. That that's really interesting. Cause yeah, we always talk about 
the middle book of a trilogy being the low point, you have to prepare yourself for that. We just, before we were here today, we were recording the Shadow and Bone trilogy. That middle book, everyone is just really upset with each other. Tasia and I are really big fans of uh, Maggie Steve Otter's um, Raven Cycle. Um, that's four books, but then she has a new spinoff trilogy and we're mentally preparing ourselves for the angst of book two of that trilogy to come out <laughs> next year because we know it's going to hurt us. Um, so I, I think that's really interesting, the, these new duologies that are coming out. Out. I, I think I saw, um, was it Roseanne Brown was on a panel? I don't know if you guys watched, uh, read anything with her. She wrote um, Song of Wraiths and Ruins that came out earlier this year, which was a really, really good book we hope to cover on the podcast sometimes too, but that's going to be duology. It's nice to know we're just going to keep running through the action and not have that middle book ink. So that's really, that's that's good to hear. I'm, I'm glad to hear about that because oh, sometimes those middle books, man. <laughs> Do you think Lee Bardugo popularized that with the Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom? Because that was a huge duology, hugely popular. And that was before, you know, duologies were popularized. I just like the word duology. It's like I do nice too. <laughs> referring to it as a duology instead of like, oh, and then the sequel. Like I, I just I like that as a concept, like thinking of it as like a singular entity in two books. Yeah. Uh I think I will say in defense of a trilogy. Because I, I do like trilogies. I agree about metal books, but I do think that they're the trilogies that authors started as one book, like like they tried to sell it as one book and then it gets it was just an extremely long book that gets broken up. Those sometimes can work better because they were originally envisioned as like a singular thing. So like Garth Nix uh, was talking about that a little bit, how he had like a book that was broken up into a trilogy. That I think can work, but I do like the idea of... I don't know. I'm always a less is more person as well. So like, I, I like my TV shows that are like, we're going to do two seasons and that's it. So like, you know, the fact that this is coming over to the, the book publishing world is really interesting. Yeah. I think it really depends on the author too. Like some, some are going to take that middle book and use it literally just as a bridge or just as, as whatever, you know, so it ends up being a lot of padding, but I think some authors are really good with the middle book. Like we mentioned Maggie Steve Otter, like we, we are living in dread of that second book, but it's not because we think it's going to be bad. We just know that's going to be the angstiest of the two of them. Cause that's, that's kind of the, Oh, like the first of the, um, uh, climaxes really. Well, and I think something that's important to mention when you talk about trilogies and duologies, I spend a lot of my time, with this is not my term um with realistic fiction right i i i love genre fiction and that's a whole nother issue with uh secondary english you know just being so down on anything that isn't quote unquote realistic fiction however you know i i've i've you know published on uh, uh, John Green's The Fault in Our Stars. I mean, that's that's where I go. You know, I'm, I'm used to talking about those things. And those are usually, I mean, of course, Jenny Han is a really good uh, example of an exception here, but mostly those don't lend themselves to series. You see a lot more standalones in the, in the, in the romance. I mean, look at Marissa Meyer, just published a standalone romance. Well, maybe standalone romance, you know, but you know, then you look at her genre stuff and it's like, well, you know, four books, ephemera attached to it. It just goes on and on, which is also great. Uh, so 
you know, that's also something that it's coming out of a tradition, I think, that 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 books are in series. And, and I'm about to get pushed away from the mic because, you know, Tessa and and Andy, who we record with with uh, Monkey Off My Backlog, are much bigger genre fans than I am in general. So, you know, it's it's a different place. Well, I will say about Marissa Meyer, who we forgot to mention was also part of Y'all Fest this year. She wasn't last year, but she did do a lot of panels this year. She, and they talked about this in this panel. She wasn't in the panel itself, but she does this as well. Trilogies or series that borrow from the romance genre, especially in YA, where you're sort of shifting perspectives each book tend to have a lot more momentum than a series that tries to follow like the same character. So like for Marissa Meyer, even though she's following the same character Cinder through all four of her books in in the Cinder series or the Lunar Chronicle series, she is still like shifting to other perspectives in her books. So like the first book is about Cinder, the second book is about Scarlet, um, the third book is about Cress, and the fourth book is about Winter, even though like you still have this through line of Cinder and like her sort of mission throughout the whole thing. And so I think some people really hate that. They mentioned that in this panel, like this idea of, oh no, I want, like, I love this character. Why are you switching to talking about this other character? But it's actually been something that's been around in like romances, especially Regency romances for a long time, the way that they'll switch between character perspectives book by book. And so I think that that's actually one way that you can avoid like the middle book slog. But it only works if you like the character. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, this is this. Is, we recorded our Shadow and Bone episode before this, but this episode will drop before that episode airs. So it's like I'm foreseeing into the future. But that's one of our our things that we talked about with with that trilogy is that trilogy is told all from one perspective, and it's a weakness of it. We think compared to her later duologies, switch perspectives, and it is such a an, a much better way to to build character and to. Uh, get different perspectives and move the plot forward because you're learning more about more people. Um, so that's that's really interesting about how all this is coming into play and how much they're thinking about it uh, in terms of long-term like publishing goals and how the trends are going to go going forward. It's fascinating. But yeah, about this point in the afternoon, we got Zoom fatigue, which we all know at this point is a real thing. So we didn't actually watch any more panels after this. Um, we are planning on going back and watching um, some more of them on YouTube once they've been released. Um, we are really excited to watch some of the later ones. I was really interested in the It Takes Two panel talking about, you know, having a writing partner and like how that how that can kind of help you. Because I think especially right now, a lot of us are feeling very isolated, especially in our writing, you know, and so like some some ideas and some tips about how to write with other people, especially since you can't actually see other people right now, or at least most of us can't. I think that could be interesting. Um, there were some other ones. Uh, one of them was Love Notes. Uh, Marissa Meyer did that one. That one was scheduled against the one of the panels we just talked about. So we didn't watch that one. Um, so there, there's definitely some that we'd like to see more of, but I think a real weakness of something like this is, I mean, and it's an unavoidable weakness, is just Zoom fatigue. It's just really hard to have a good conference all be virtual <laughs> because after about four sessions, you kind of want to just like lay down and not look at a screen anymore. Um, unlike last year where we were all in person and we were like, you know, like we have to get to the next session and we'd like run across, you know, a couple in the, in the vibe of the mm-hmm. whole experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and everyone's really like fun. dressed up yeah. and there are book signings and you got to get to the, yeah. So it, there, there is obviously some pitfalls to this. Yeah. 
That's too, that's too bad. Cause there are, you know, just looking at the list of topics, everything sounds so interesting and I'm sure they felt the effects of that too. But the flip side is now this hopefully will all be on online for everyone to take a look at going forward. There's definitely some that I want to check out. Like I said, that fan service one, there's one about which is villains and vampires, which we love a dark character here on Act Your Age. So I'm interested to to listen to that one or watch that one. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of good stuff here. And hopefully in 2021, it'll be a situation where we can do these things in person again. Is it normally this time of year? Like, was it in person last November? Okay, so hopefully <laughs> I have to hope that in a year from now we'll be able to do things in person again please <laughs> i think a lot of this these authors were kind of i mean like i think they were all very happy to be part of it and they all did such a great job but i think a lot of them were really like i think a lot of them get a, a, an energy boost from meeting fans and from you know hearing from them and signing books and you know it's kind of sad they just didn't get that you know interaction this year yeah and for sure i think you know why fans in particular too tend to come out in droves for things like you know press parties and release parties and things like that and i know a lot of the authors who spoke today had big releases or their first releases this year and for them to miss out on all of that has all had the to fanfare been. and everything that's yeah bummer. but I, I do think a lot of these authors too have done a really good job in, in uh, creating fan engagement during this time i know ve schwab has done like author convos that she's posted on instagram live which has been really nice t- to listen about victoria aviard is on her instagram stories constantly just chucking in on her, like her writing process and filling fans Bardugo in on, does a lot of that too yeah so and they're finding ways and it's it's helpful but i, I would like that side of things to continue i guess when I will say best dressed person, um, you know, like because you you kind of feel like you're like snooping on people's ho- like homes and their their housing and stuff when you're on Zoom. Best dress definitely goes to Nick Stone. hundred percent. Really? <laughs> she was wearing these amazing like avocado earrings Ooh. and green lipstick. And it was just like cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. I know I it's creeping on people's houses is definitely, I guess, one interesting <laughs> thing about this time that we have it's very funny um well thank you guys so much for coming on and talking today um sam you mentioned pop culturist and how you're gonna uh be writing up some stuff on on your attendance here on there do you guys want to talk about what pop culturist is uh so the pop culturist is a website uh, that does articles and podcast uh podcast network it is everything related to pop culture so we've had articles come out about tv movies uh tajia you did one about uh books back in uh back in october that was really good hopefully you'll have another one coming out soon and uh comics music pretty much anything pop culture you can think of tattoos dating uh so definitely pop pop culturisthub.com check it out uh, we've got something for any pop culture fan and uh yeah we all write for it i i the week that this comes out i will have just published the second installment of my disney rewatch i'm rewatching all of the disney animated films in order i am in the 40s right now it's kind of a slog but but i will be publishing my second my second uh part of that on uh on monday so that's that's what I'm doing on the pop culturist right now. What are you doing, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, like I mentioned uh, this week, I just want to. I, I just kind of it's it's. I think it's more of a form of therapy than anything else, and and maybe somebody will read it and 
But, you know, just talking about over the last year, all the things that I was supposed to be doing kind of professionally in terms of young adult literature, I was, I had four, four, is it really four? It's really four conferences that I was going to go to over the course of 2020, three specifically presenting about um, young adult lit and, and of course, attendance here at Y'all Fest as well. And they just all got... You know, the ones the ones earlier in the year just were all gone. And then, you know, so I'm doing this, um, you know, adult novel or adolescent novel uh, thing as part of NCTE virtually next week, but I'm not presenting anymore, um, which is unfortunate. And so already thinking about what next year is going to hold and, you know, part of part of being a tenure track professor such as myself is that you have to continue to do things. You have to present you have to publish. You know, I have, uh, I have something that uh, actually on the um, wow, it tells you how long things have gone on. I actually have something on the Hunger Games series and uh, Sherry L. Smith's Orleans that should be out in a journal by now, but it isn't because they haven't had the opportunity to actually put it into press yet. And it's going to come out at some point in 2021, but it will still say it was published in 2020. So like we're doing time travel in academia right now, you know, and it's just, it's, it's a whole thing. So it, I, I thought it was a good time maybe to just write about it and it'll be super fun to be like some of these YA authors and say, I, I can't tell you what I'm writing about, but I wrote about this thing and I couldn't, you know, because um, apparently that happens at the academic level too, which is kind of ridiculous. But, um, so you know, I, that's just a kind of an idea of the the stuff that that we're, we're starting to write about. You know, I've written book reviews. I wrote one about the new Marissa uh, Meyer book, um, Last week, two weeks ago, I don't even know anymore. It came out on election day. That's, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, music reviews too. I wrote a, I wrote like I don't know, forty five hundred words on folklore earlier this year. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff there. I remember that one. It was good. <laughs> yeah, I guess I forgot to mention book reviews. I've also done. I actually wrote a book review on uh, V. Schwab's uh, "The Invisible Life of Addie Larue," and that came out a few weeks ago. But yeah, so anything pop culture wise, uh, Sam and I also are hosts. We've mentioned Monkey Off My Backlog, which is a pop culture productivity podcast, uh, which is through Pop Culturist. We do that with our very, very good friend, Andy. And basically every week we talk about something. We watch, read, play, whatever, uh, something that's been on our list for over a year. And we talk about it and we talk about pop culture lists and how we all have these super long lists of things that we want to experience, but we never seem to get around to them. So we, it's such a great premise for a podcast. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Well, so of course you'll be, of course you'll be, both of you will be happy, ready, and willing to come on the podcast in the next few months. Yeah, absolutely. We would love absolutely. to. Absolutely. <laughs> and we would love if there are particular books you guys would love to discuss with us. We always, we've done one episode by ourselves and like our eight to nine episodes. We love having friends on to discuss things, mainly because Tasia and I tend to have a one track mind. So we like to have um, different. Yeah, and we agree opinions. a lot. Yeah, we, we, exactly. we agree so much. So we're yeah. like, right, we need we're somebody kind to come of, in here and and push back on us a little bit. Yeah, so that we're, we're brain twins. So we like to have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more what, different than us. 
like a good YA novel, you need conflict. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. We, don't, we don't have enough of it between We're just us. like, you think this too? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was just typing that to you. Is what Let's all just of our sit in our echo are. chamber. Yeah, exactly. So we <laughs> would, uh, yeah, we would love to have you guys on if there are particular books that you would like to talk about. Um, so tell us your socials, tell us pop culture socials, all that good stuff. So everyone knows where to find you and we'll drop it in our episode notes too. All right. So you can find me at, on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. And you can find Monkey Off My Backlog at Monkey Backlog on Twitter. You can also find the Pop Culturist at Pop Culturist Hub on Twitter. And you can also just go directly to the website, popculturisthub.com. And I, I think for Monkey and Pop Culturist, you can find them under the same on Instagram. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. And I'm on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. Act Ya Age is on Twitter and Instagram at Act Ya Age. And we, our email address is actyaagepod at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, uh, prompts, or ideas for future bonus episodes? We love it. Thank you so much, um, Tessa, for reaching us out to us about this. This was really fun and a good way to break up um, all of us constantly rereading books to come and talk about. <laughs> yeah. so this was a wonderful change of pace for us. We really appreciate it. Appreciated having you guys here. Um, and as we mentioned, keep a lookout. Everyone will drop it in our on our socials too when Y'all Fest posts their videos on YouTube. So if you are interested in checking them out, they'll be there. But otherwise, thanks again, guys. Uh, we'd love to Thank have you, you back. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.